Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Nancy Prayer Johnson, Associate Editorial Board Editor. Kerry Clack, columnist, editorial writer. Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. Metro Editor Greg Jefferson. Uh, we took a week off for the Labor Day holiday. We're back with you. It was a week in which more than 50,000 people filled the Alamo Dome to see Bad Bunny. Um, if I, th- I don't think there's a political, I, I guess you'd have to go back to maybe like the early years with Obama where you would have a, a political figure who would come even close to maybe drawing those kind of crowds. But even, right. I don't even think he, he filled some, some arenas back in the oh, 2008. Campaign, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um uh, one of the stories that we that we're going to talk about, and this is something that's been uh, getting a lot of attention lately, is the the Migrant Resource Center, which the city set up um, on July seventh, as a response to the influx of migrants who are passing through San Antonio on their way to their final destinations while they wait for their cases to be adjudicated. Uh, and this is similar to what San Antonio did in 2019 when we had a big influx of of migrants coming through the city, and uh, there was a, a migrant center set up uh, downtown. This one is uh, on the north side on San Pedro Avenue. We About three weeks ago, uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez went on Fox News and was talking about the fact that firefighters are being used at the center and said that this, you know, they're being pulled away from their primary responsibilities. Uh, the city is saying that most of the firefighters who are being used there, and they've been using about I think in July, there were like 35 firefighters a day that were being uh, deployed to, to the center. That most of them uh, are, are going during overtime uh, hours. But uh, this was an issue for Tony Gonzalez. And he actually was targeting Mayor Ron Nuremberg and, and asking people to call the mayor's office and complain because the, you know, the, the mayor was, was using city resources, important resources uh, you know, for this center. Around the same time that Tony Gonzalez uh, went on Fox News, this was August 25th, the firefighters union uh, notified the city that they were considering filing a grievance over the use of firefighters at the center. Last Friday, uh, they, they have a period of about three weeks in which to decide if they're going to file a grievance. Last Friday, the grievance committee for the union unanimously voted to ask the city for a two-week extension. So they would have until the 28th of this month uh, to decide if they want to file a grievance. And I think the idea is that they're kind of trying to see if they can maybe work something out. Um, Greg, I, get, I want to start with you and kind of get your your thought on on the, I mean, it's, it's certainly it's a challenge for the city. We got, I think they've said we've averaged about 600 migrants coming through the city a day. And that's that's not an easy situation. But when you look at the question of whether it's proper for firefighters to be used or not, and whether this is something the mayor should be blamed for, I mean, how do you see that? Well, first of all, I mean, no, (laughs) no, I mean, and this is like, this is not maybe a satisfying answer, but I mean, this, you know, to the extent that, that firefighters are sent to the migrant center, the mayor has nothing to do with this. This is, you know, Eric Walsh, the city manager's call. I mean, it's under his, Purview, but really, I mean, the the question here is like, what what really is the firefighter union's objection? And I get I get the feeling there are a lot of different uh, kind of clashes within the union right now. I mean, there might be some firefighters who just politically object to working at the migrant center. Maybe they disagree with the city helping asylum seekers, <laughs> you know, giving them giving them a place to stay and hooking them up with services. Uh, 
And you could also have, uh, you know, firefighters who are concerned about, you know, as the, you know, as the the union president told you, there are, you know, some neighborhoods that are left unprotected because you have firefighters working at the migrant center. I mean, the city says that's not the case. The the union president says it is in some cases. Uh, so I get the feeling you have this this kind of clash, but I mean. The you know if if your objection as a firefighter is to the to the migrant center itself, just it's being there and you're you're having to work there, then yeah, I guess you could blame Ron Nuremberg, but it's kind of it's kind of thin, I think. You know, we went there last week. The editorial board had a tour, and so we got to see what's happening there. You know, in person, it was quite the experience. I mean, I had read about it in our in our paper. Um, but to be there was a whole different experience. It was impressive to see the effort that that is happening there, the um, the compassion in the in the response and this humanitarian response. But also, you know, they don't have a choice. I mean, the choice is either have something like that or allow these people to just to sit at the airport for you know just sit there for days or stay in in Travis Park. Right. Or, you know, basically homeless status out there. So there's a lot more humanitarian um, response. It's more organized. They track all of the migrants. Um, and it's not like the city has a choice, I don't think. Um, I think it comes down to um, the pay for the firefighters. Right. Um, from what I understand, they want the overtime. Um, and I can see that as an issue, especially if San Antonio police are getting overtime. And so I think that maybe um, maybe that's the biggest issue. And I hope it doesn't come down to politics, because if the firefighters have been there and seen the response and they have in their mind what would happen if we didn't have that migrant center, then, um, you know, this the responses would be totally different. And so to have 600 people a day at Travis Park, at the airport, there are babies. There are babies. And Carrie can tell you, too, what we saw. You know, um, I know that it's mostly men. It's mostly single men is what they told us. Um, but I did see quite a few babies and, I mean, infants in diapers. Yeah, I, and I think the, the 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 fire union has has been a little less um, – overtly political than they we, we saw them a few years ago they had you know the president at the time chris Steele, was uh, pretty much dedicated to you know he was at war with uh the, the city manager at the time cheryl scully and the the current president joe jones is i at least in his tone <clears throat> is um is not nearly um as antagonistic but i i, I mean this is a union that endorsed um dan patrick the lieutenant governor um, this year, and you know we all know some of the the awful things that Dan Patrick has said about migrants over the years. So you know, th there I think there's a political component to it, but it's hard to know like how much of it is is that, or how much of it is just you know the as you said you know the pay issues or the 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 use of certain you know the, one of the things they're talking about is we want to see just people who are set up to work. To, to manage shelters. This is a team that was set up after Hurricane Katrina when we had people come from Louisiana. But uh, I, they are being used. It's just that there, there are not enough of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the first thought that I had because, I mean, I've, I come from an era of writing about the fire union when Chris Steele was president, like you said, and he was just overtly right wing and antagonistic. And so that was my, my, that was my gut reaction to the story was that, oh, this is 
100% politics. But I think, Nancy, you bring up a good point that, you know, there's this issue of should they be paid overtime to do this? And it's it's probably also motivated by financial concerns. So, um, I mean, and, and I don't know if that's what's appropriate, uh, whether or not it's appropriate to pay them overtime to do this or not. I think that's a, that's probably more of the issue. As I understand it, though, FEMA is reimbursing for all of that, right? So that's it's right. not Everything. like it's the city's yeah. paying straight out. That's right. Yeah. yeah now, the uh, and if, if it is about pay, then they ought to be explicit because all the criticism about the the MRC has basically been political, and uh, and I and I I think we even asked them last week when we were there if any if anybody like any of the critics have actually visited it, and none have, mm-hmm. and it is impressive what they are doing there, and you do have quite a number of children, and and if anything, because many of these migrants, and I think what almost three quarters comes from Venezuela, but many of these migrants come with, they have resources, they have some money and they, they're spending in the neighborhood. If anything, they are putting money into our economy. They're not taking anything away. So now it's just, to me, it, it was, it's any criticism of it must first be preceded by a visit to the Migrant Resource Center and then hear what you have to say. But everything else it just sounds, it, it sounds very uh, partisan and hollow. And I think it's important, too, to understand why this is happening um, when you look at the politics of it and consider. And I say, you know, there's not a choice because this is the transportation hub that's closest to Del Rio, which is where they're coming from. So it's not like I know, you know, some people are probably just saying, well, um, you know, San Antonio is just being too compassionate. They're saying, oh, come to San Antonio. Yeah. Tony has all said that, you know, we're a sanctuary city, which is, you know, that's really not an accurate description. But I mean, that's that's one of the things that comes up. But as you said, I mean, there, what, what, what choice is there really? And actually, and, and, and I think the, the top destinations for these, for the, the folks coming in, the migrants is, are cities like, like New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. In many ways, Governor Abbott continues to provide a service to them by his, by his, you know, it's a stunt and it, maybe it's working to a degree, but by, you know, busing migrants to, to New York and, and Chicago and, and Washington, because it, essentially that's where these, are, these migrants are going. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we had a visit, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the uh, Homeland Security Secretary, visited the editorial board and he talked a little bit. He had, I think he'd met with uh, the mayor the day before and he talked about the Migrant Research Center. I think he called it like a model, a model. for what other cities exactly. should be doing. So, you know, and we all know that on the Republican side, I mean, there's a there's an impeach Mayorkas <laughs> movement that uh, that's, that's pretty strong these days. Um, but I, I mean, I think we're going to have some kind of resolution on on the, the the firefighters issue there probably in the next couple of weeks when to talk a little bit about uvalde um last tuesday was the first day of school at uvalde since the may 24th um mass shooting at rob elementary and uh in that period of a little more than three months the state has really done nothing to address the uh the issue of school safety in texas um Nancy, you did a, a heartbreaking story on a mother who lost her youngest child, um, uh, Sandra Cruz is her name. And if you could talk a little bit about what she told you and, and the sense that you've gotten, because you've done some great reporting on Uvalde and but, you know, how parents are feeling there and, and how kids are feeling. And tell how the, how the story came about. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Um, you know, I went, to, I've been to Uvalde several times. I don't 
I don't remember how many at this point. It's a lot. Um, and this time I thought, well, the school year is starting. And as a former teacher, I just feel an obligation to be there. And, and it's rough. I mean, every time I go there, it's, it's emotionally harrowing. It's exhausting. And, and any photographer also that has been there will tell you the same thing. Um, so I actually had set up, um, you know, visits with different people who I've already written about, um, to go visit them and, um, and, you know, the photographer to go and us to kind of do a, a new story about the beginning of the school year. It's really important time. It's a milestone, right? To, to be your, um, but a lot of those families started backing out and it speaks to how, how hard it is. And they just said, you know, it's too stressful. And, and, you know, we just, we can't put the other kids through it and, and we just can't. And so they started backing out and here we are, you know, I'm in Uvalde and the photographer's there. And, um, and so other families started saying, no, we'll talk to you. And so it was just this kind of a puzzle of, you know, who was I going to speak to? Mm-hmm. Um, I went to, well, the night before I could not sleep. Um, just so many things happened. Um, I, and I was just nervous. I, I actually felt just personally nervous and anxious for these families, right? Um, and I didn't think, I mean, you never know, right? Um, nothing has changed, as you said, but I didn't feel, I wasn't nervous because I felt like there was going to be a school shooting at the school. That's not why I was nervous. It was just this energy I had. I couldn't sleep. Um, my alarm was set for 5 a.m. It was 2, 3, 4 o'clock. I was yeah. still awake. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is going to go great. <laughs> yes. um, and I was supposed to do this MSNBC interview that oh, night. I'm like, oh, I'm going to look. Oh, I'm The you know, bags under my eyes are going to be huge. <laughs> sure. um, but that, you know, it didn't pan out for that. But so I was up in the middle of the night and I see this um, tweet uh, from Sandra. And she's talking about how it's her, her birthday, you know, and she was just incredibly sad. And then so we are um, messaging back and forth. And I just told her I'm sorry, you know, and, and I mean, I can't imagine. And so she was up, she couldn't sleep and I, I couldn't sleep. And so the next morning, you know, wake up early, I go to, I went to Flores Elementary because Flores Elementary, um, from what I could figure out was where a lot of the students who were at Rob Elementary were going because they changed schools at that age. Right. So I went to Flores and I was just out there with the rest of the media were on the sidewalk. There's a lot of nervous students, you know, um, you could see the nerves, but first day of school, there's going to be nerves, especially at a new school, right? So they're moving up. Um, some had smiles. It was, you know, there was a lot of um, DPS there. There was a therapy dog. Um, a lot of admin staff was there too. Um, you could see the kids being um, dropped off and walked in and, you know, some of them kind of pet the dog a little bit. Some of them, um, you know, shook hands with DPS, which is just, you know, to me, it was a little heartbreaking. Um, but so just watching that whole scene, when I get back in the car, I have a, a text message from Sandra and she says, meet me at the cemetery. Now, I had not been to the cemetery. I know this is crazy, but I had not been to the cemetery since the beginning of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we were not allowed as media to go to the funerals. I was just hanging out with families and talking to them, but I would never go to the cemetery. This is my first time. So I look it up. I go meet her there. Um, she has a few other family members. Um, our photographer, Sam Owens, who often works with me there, um, went. Great yeah, beautiful work. Um, and again, tough. It's tough, you know. Um, and so we're there. And I mean, 
our hearts were, I mean, both Sam and I, and as journalists, you don't want to be that, per- you don't want to cry and you don't, you know, you want to be, um, but I mean, we couldn't help it. It was just, she just started talking, right? And so she starts talking about her little girl and what she was like. And, and then she starts talking about that day. And I'm just here like, wow, it's, it's her birthday, you know? So I didn't really ask very many questions. Um, I recorded the video. And so when I got home um, and I was like, okay, got to write this thing. Um, I was just, I I was anxious to, I knew what was there already. Right. But just watching it, I was sobbing watching it. Um, And so my dad this morning on the way, on the way here, I was driving, he calls me, he's like, you made me cry. I'm like, I know I made me cry too. (laughs) Um, It's, it's, it's really sad, right? And and the, so the families, um, just overall, they're they're very anxious. Um, I feel like they're trying to get into the groove of right. You know, mm-hmm. They have to move on. They don't have a choice. They have to move on. I talked to a teacher yesterday, um, and one that I haven't written about. Um, she called me and just let me know how things are going. And she was in Rob Elementary that day. She was actually right across the the hall from. Um, from uh, Eva Midellis's classroom mm-hmm. and, and Irma Godzilla's classroom. And so she told me, and I asked her how the students were doing and how she did. Um, and she said that some of the students, that they journal a lot, you know. So she said some of the students started off saying how nervous they were and how sad they were. But by the end of the week, they were saying they're glad they were back at school and that they were starting to feel better. So that gave me some hope, you know, because they don't have a choice. They have to move on. Um, another story I wrote that was in Friday's printed paper was about um, Mia Sidio, and she was the little girl who, um, I mean, can you imagine she, the, the thought that went through her mind during this, but she's watching her um, student, her fellow classmates and her teachers getting shot with this, you know, um, assault style weapon. And she had the forethought to, in those moments, cover herself with blood and pretend she was dead. So I went to her house and on that first day, it was like it wasn't a school day. They were just hanging out and they were playing with their pets and watching TV and and hanging out as a family. But they were like, no way, we're not we're not going to let them go to school. Yeah, that's super traumatic. And it just shows that how deep and, and how damaging this was i mean when when will she go back to school you know she she doesn't want to um and also there's a lot of fear in that family but i mean can you blame them right uh you can't and um the parents you know it's it's interesting because a lot of parents are saying like we can't live in fear so i know like uh, mckenna elrod's family you know the mom is a teacher they have their kids and they just say we cannot live in fear and the kids don't want to go to school um especially the one that's in high school she's like you know, she doesn't, she has, she already had anxiety before this happened. Right. And so, but they just say, we can't live in this fear, but at Mia's house, the parents, they are, they talk about fear all the time and they say how this could happen. They say how nothing has changed. They say how there could be copycats out there. And so these kids are hearing that all the time. And, and so the little girl, um, there's one, her name is Elena. She's a, she's adorable little girl. And she's like, no, I'm scared. And she'll cry. Um, Mia, no way. In fact, Mia, it, she went to the, um, and this was just heartbreaking when they told me about this, but they had to meet the teacher. Right. And so she goes and it wasn't for her. It was for her younger sibling. So she goes and she's just checking everything out. She's just checking it out. And then she says, nope. 
nope, it's not safe. It's not safe in there. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed. And my my brothers, my sisters, they cannot go to school either. And I'm not going and they're not going. And so she's like trying to be protective of them too. And especially her little brother as well. He's, she says he's he's too young. Like how he won't be able to protect himself. Does it, is anyone seriously considered, any of the families you've talked to seriously considered moving away? Mia wants, it's funny you ask that because Mia actually said she wants to move away. And I said, well, where? And, you know, if you could move anywhere where, you know, anywhere. And she's, and she actually barely talked. She just barely said anything. She's very quiet. And she says, I don't know. She just don't want to live there. Um, and so I think, you know, over time, I think that a lot of families will end up moving um, just for a new start, maybe, if they can afford it. When I ask, um, like, her parents, they have a lot of family there. So, like, they're, you know, Mia's mom's um parents they live just a few blocks over right and so they don't want to leave their family you know unit and that is that's home for them right and, and to start all over somewhere else that number one it takes funds number two you're you're being yanked away from everything you know right is she is mia taking classes online i mean is she participating in so she's supposed mm-hmm. to do the virtual um virtual um, so they have, I believe it was four children at home. Um, one of them had dropped out. Um, you know, he wasn't going to school. He's a 17 year old not going to school. Um, and what's really interesting is later on Fox News, you know, there was another shooting in Uvalde at the park that was not far from their house, not far from Rob because it's right there next to Rob. And the really, really tragic thing is we and actually people know that I'm in Uvalde so much that some people that I I know were messaging me like hey are you in Uvalde are you okay when they heard about that shooting um and I'm, I'm like yeah I'm not I'm not there I'm okay um but one of the sons um one of Mia's brothers the one that dropped out of school already his name was on the list of people who were arrested at that shooting and I recognized that name and I was, I mean, I was like sick to my stomach when I saw that. I mean, can you imagine? And he had been there that day. The whole family was there. In fact, they asked Sam to take a, a family picture of them. And um, so I haven't heard anything, you know, I haven't talked to her, but it has to be him. He's 17, same name, you know. Um, and they'd had a nephew there that day that too. And, and the mom had said, uh, Mia's mom had said, yeah, he's in and out of juvie and, and he's mm. around here and, and we're trying to help him. So much can one family. Right. That's a lot to deal with for that family. On a related subject. Um, and this happened uh, about a week and a half ago, but it, we, we, we didn't have a podcast last week, so we haven't had a chance to talk about it, but, uh, governor Greg Abbott during a campaign stop discussed, uh, an issue that that has come up a lot since the Uvalde shooting, which is the, the question of whether the state should try to restrict um, assault rifle purchases uh, to those twenty one and over. Right now, you can you can purchase one if you're eighteen. And the excuse he gave for not pursuing this is that he said there've been recent court decisions. He talked about, there was a Supreme court decision on, on guns. There was a, uh, I think there's California, uh, federal court decision. The one, one, ones he cited was a Texas, uh, federal court judge. And this was, this was a kind of widely, um, you know, re- ridiculed decision by a judge named Michael Pittman, who, um, 
basically threw out a, a state law uh, banning uh, the the carry of handguns by people under under uh, twenty one. And he, in his decision, he said basically that if the state of Texas decides to appeal this, it's uh, my decision is probably going to get overturned. He, I think, he recognized that he was somewhat of an outlier. I don't think the state of Texas, given our, the politics of, uh, of our attorney general, will 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 appeal it. But um, I, I want to. I'll start with you, Carrie. I, I, Greg Abbott is is kind of falling back on you know hiding behind the courts a little bit here. I guess I'm I'm I'm, I'm showing my my opinion on this, but he's he's saying I we can't do anything. If people, I know there are people who want who want us to take action on this, but really we we can't. Um, what was your response to that? He's not even trying. Mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 there's any, and, and he's admitted himself that there's there may be some ambiguity in the law. So if there's any ambiguity in the law, if you're really concerned, you would be unambiguous in your efforts to try to lower it. But he does. He does even. I mean, in New York, they're doing it. In New York, in New York, they've done it. And and you go back to the day after the shooting at that at the press conference, and he. I mean, that what was his. Uh, his initial answer, something about it goes back to the 19th century of 18-year-olds being, have, being able to have long rifles. So his, his changing on it, his thinking on it hasn't changed at all. And he's just, it's making excuses. And if there had been any, if he had done anything within the past three months to, beyond this to show that he truly gave a damn about doing things which would prevent this, maybe it wouldn't be as large of an issue, but in this vacuum of doing nothing, and it's obvious he's making excuses. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clearly he's got the election on his mind, right? I mean, and I mean, it could end up being ironically, you know, damaging to him. Um, I don't know. I don't know how deep, deep, I don't know how, how, if, if what happened in Uvalde was traumatic enough to, to uh, erode the, the deep, you know, love for weaponry in Texas. <laughs> but, but he's saying it's basically, it's out of my hand. So it's like, you know, it's not, yeah. you know. I mean, he's a lawyer and he knows better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I right. think we can dispense with that. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. all the niceties about, well, did he, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. he knows better. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it really comes down to the fact that like he, yeah, he's in a campaign cycle and he's appealing to the base, but look, this is how he governs. Like there's no, he would have made the same decision out of cycle. You know, he could have just been reelected. This is how he does it. I mean, it's it's a very Karl Rove kind of approach to governance where you you look at the relatively small number of independents. There's no reason to appeal to them in their thinking. So you just appeal to your base. And, you know, it may be a minority, but they're always going to get you reelected. That's all this is about. And the tone that you use, you kind of use a soft tone. Like, well, it's, it's not so much that, right. I, that I don't care. I don't want to do anything. It's, you know, it's the, the courts. They, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're. Just for some context, that that ju- decision by Michael Pittman in Texas that had been like the week before, and as you said, Kerry, I mean that he had three months up to this point. So um, the Supreme Court has not ruled on this issue about age restrictions yet. That's still unsettled law. There are 18 states that have laws on the books that have age restrictions either for assault weapons or for handguns. I believe Florida, after their, the Parkland shooting, they Rick Scott, Rick Scott, a Republican governor, signed uh, into law a bill that. Would would place uh, that same kind of age restriction uh, uh, for um, assault weapons. So it's been done. But the thing too about about Greg Abbott, and this is one of the things that really burned me up about this, because again, I always feel like, and I was talking 
a few weeks ago about, you know, Chip Roy and he talks to me and he'll say stuff, you know, like I'm not anti-vax and, and well, you're anti-vax, you know, and just, just say, say that you are and don't start, you know, I'd, um, with, with Greg Abbott, you know, he has never hesitated to sign bills that, uh, you know, were the, you know, the, the, there was some question about the legality or whether there was going to, you know, court challenges. He, he, he signed into law last year, a bill that, that uh, placed restrictions on social media companies that said you can't kick anybody off if they if they have uh, views or express views that you don't. It was basically the the you know the pro Donald Trump uh, bill, just saying that you know Twitter you can't kick Donald Trump off. And Florida had had uh, passed a, a law a couple of months before it had been blocked in the courts. Greg Abbott could have easily looked at that and said, you know, not to mention the uh, abortion bill that was passed in Texas last year, which essentially banned abortion after six weeks at a time when Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land that was completely counter to Roe v. Wade. And he did it anyway. Uh, he said, basically, let, let's see him try to stop us. If he wanted to do something about about guns in the hands of, of you know, people under 21, he could do it and and dare the courts to stop. Stop him, I mean, it tears me up to see the um, campaign commercials, right? And he's sitting there like this, you know, Abbott's sitting there like some family man and just, you know, talking about his family values and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, but, you know, anybody in Uvalde um, and elsewhere who's paying attention, it's, it's the very basic of family values to try to protect children who cannot protect themselves. And the very least he could do is raise the age to 21 and to help at least appear to try to make that happen. Um, and I mean, that would just be giving something to these Uvalde families. I mean, there's all these groups that keep forming in Uvalde. This is their number one thing that they want. I don't think it's asking too much. You're not taking all the guns away from everybody. It's, you know, raise it, raise that age to 21 and make it to where at least, you know what, if Salvador Ramos, if this would have maybe at least tried to keep him from doing what he did, then you're sending a message and you're trying to make some kind of difference. Now, is it going to save, you know, is it going to keep every Salvador Ramos from doing it? Well, probably not, right? There's going to be other school shootings, but at least say, hey, you know what, when I was governor, I tried. Right. And there's been a lot of recent history, a lot of evidence that it's been younger people who have been, yeah. um, you know, been the, the assailants in these in these a lot of these recent tragedies. So yeah. um, it's uh, yeah, I, I mean, he, it's, it's something that he doesn't want to he doesn't want to take action on and um, using the courts as an excuse. I think we're going to wrap things up there. Um, I did want to mention to you all, uh, anyone who's listening and has, and if you have uh, questions related to politics, or I guess that could be non-political questions. Uh, I mean, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I know care. I, I mean, if you, musical questions of anything related to the uh, to the Almost Park HEB playlist, uh, you know, I think you know because you got a whole you got a whole fan group. I think that's built around your updates on that. So. Um, so, if you, but if you do have any questions for us, um, just submit your question at uh, expressnews.com forward slash askbudo. And we always appreciate you all listening and, and giving us your feedback and hope you all are doing well. Take care. <laughs>